You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. Today, I want to talk to you about the coat that you're wearing. See, we're all wearing a coat, and that's why I let that's why I let um, Jesse talk for a minute while I went and got this. I found this in the Blake House box, and I thought it would be perfect. Let me just put this coat on. Zipper broke a little bit, but, and I'm sucking in. (laughs) This coat doesn't fit very well. It's actually kind of restricting. I'm usually a very flexible individual. (laughs) What coat are you wearing? Who made it? Did God make it? Did your mama make it? The coat, the garment, the cover, when you walk up to somebody, what do they see on you? What? Who made it? Do you hide behind it? A lot of us have coats that we wear, this persona, this thing that we put on, and and we hide behind it. And it's our comfortable place because it's what we've always had to hide behind and to be covered up by our... So maybe you you hide behind your coat. It's what people see. You dress for what you're about to do. So, like if I'm going to do some concrete work tomorrow, then I'm going to wear some old jeans. I got to take this thing off. Y'all aren't taking me seriously. You dress for what you're going to do. So if I'm going to do some concrete work tomorrow, then I'm going to wear some old work boots that I don't mind and that are going to keep my feet dry, and I'm going to wear some old jeans, and I'm going to wear some. But if I'm going swimming tomorrow, I'm not going to wear a jacket and work boots and old jeans. It's just not going to work. It's going to, I'm not going to be able to swim very good. You dress for what you're about to do. If I'm going down, you know, speaking of the boots, I have this great pair of Justin boots that I've had for two or three years. It's the longest a pair of boots or shoes or anything have lasted me. These are great work boots. And every time I'm going to work, I wear them and I love them and they protect my feet and they do their job. But I never once wore my work boots to play flag football. They wouldn't work. They're too slick on the bottom. It probably would have hurt my back. Like, I probably would have gotten injured if I went out there and tried to play football with work boots on. So you dress for what you're about to do. And so I feel like us as a church, and if you were here last week and you heard the message and 
If you didn't go back on the podcast and listen to last week's message, because I really feel like God's stirring and doing something in us as a body and as a family and as a church, and we're stepping into some new things and some bigger things, and God's calling us to live a bigger life and not be fenced in and not hide behind what we've always hid behind and not just settle, that we're supposed to go for something bigger. So starting last week and the next few weeks, if it goes how I'm thinking, because that's what God's dealing with me on and God's dealing with all of us on, I don't want to be stuck in a little coat. I want to look to the future, get a vision of where God wants us to head, and then I want to dress for that. I want to wear what's going to help me to succeed and what God's called me to. If God's calling me to go swim, I want to put on a bathing suit. I want to go swim in my work boots because that's what I was handed or that's what I was already wearing from the last thing God called me to do. I, I, I want to dress for where I'm headed. If you don't have the right coat or the right clothes, it's going to make things harder. You know, it can make things really awkward. If you're dressed wrong, you dress wrong for the occasion. I know that, that commercial where the dude shows up for the football party. Pretty sure it's a beer commercial, but he shows up wearing a costume and it's not a costume party. That's just awkward. Like it's, And then I think he just ends up leaving in the commercial. It can be really awkward. You know what else? I hate being underdressed. You ever shown up somewhere and walked in and looked around and everybody else is like wearing ties and suits and dress clothes and nice clothes and you're like in a t-shirt you didn't get the memo? That's embarrassing. It's awkward. You, you can't be who you are. It's really hard to act with confidence when you're underdressed. You just feel like going and hiding somewhere. I don't want that to be my Christian life. I don't want that to be my walk with God is feeling awkward or underdressed or out of place. Or So what coat are you wearing? Look at your coat. Who made it? And how long have you been wearing it? A lot of us put on a coat and we get comfortable and we wear that coat the rest of our life. You know what that means? You're not growing. You should be, if you're growing spiritually, now in the natural, it's okay to stop growing. You don't have to keep growing every year in the natural. Um, but in the spirit, we've talked about this a lot in the last few weeks, that we're supposed to be progressing. We're supposed to keep growing. We're supposed to keep moving forward. Well, if I'm growing, then I'm going to need a new coat. I'm going to need something a little bit bigger. So how long have you been wearing the coat that you're wearing, and what's the pattern? You know, like a pattern that you can lay out, and you cut the material, and you make the coat. And What's the pattern? The pattern determines the final outcome, the product. Some of you are not happy with the outcome. You're not happy with the coat that you're wearing. It's not the coat that you planned on wearing. 
You thought you'd be wearing a different coat. You thought you'd be somebody else somewhere else. This isn't the coat you planned on wearing. But you don't change the pattern. You want a different coat, but you keep using the same pattern. You keep going back to the same maker. Keep getting the same coat. Well, how do I get a new coat? Go back to the maker. Go to God. Get a vision of where you're headed and dress for that. Look at 1 Samuel First Samuel 2, 19. And I think we're probably going to be talking about coats for the next couple of weeks because I got, I, I got too much as I was studying this week for, to fit it all in today. So I think I'm going to break it up. But this is a funny story. The whole story is not funny, but this part that we're going to look at is kind of funny. First Samuel 2. Verse 19, and I'll catch you up on the story in case you don't know what's going on in the story. But Hannah, there was a guy named Elkanon. He had two wives, Hannah and Penina. And Penina had kids, and Hannah didn't. And Penina was a jerk, and she made fun of Hannah for not having kids. And she laughed at her and made fun of her. And, and Elkanah loved Hannah even more than he loved Penina and one day, every single year, they would go down to the temple to offer sacrifices and to worship God and to, to bring their offering to the priest. And so Hannah was there in the temple, and she was just crying out to God. She was at the altar, and she was crying out saying, God, why? Why won't you give me a son? Why won't you give me a child? All I want is a son. That's, that's what I want. And she's crying out. And, and she must have been going a little crazy at the altar because the Bible tells us if you go read the whole story that the priest saw her and said, oh, she must be drunk. That's how her prayer was looking. Like he thought she'd been drinking. And so he goes over to her and he tells her like, hey, you need to lay off the wine. And she said, I haven't been drinking. I'm full of sorrow. I'm crying out to God because he hasn't given me what I want. I'm crying out for a son. And the man of God said, oh, well, then God give you a son. You'll have one. What you've been crying out for, you can have it. Go your way. So she got up, washed off her face, and she was happy. And nine months later, she had a son. Now, we know that her son was Samuel, and he was maybe the most powerful prophet in Israel's history, you could argue that he was. And he's the one that anointed David, and he's the one that anointed Saul, and he did all kinds of things, and he was this awesome powerhouse for God's people. Her son was, Samuel was. And what she had said was, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And I will never let him cut his hair. He'll be a Nazarite. He'll have his long hair growing out like Samson and I'll never let him cut his hair, and I'll give him to you. So God gave her a son. And as soon as he was old enough to wean and start eating food, she took him to the priest and gave him. Gave her son that God gave her. She gave him to the priest. Gave him to God. Let him live at the church. 
So if any of you have any sons, you get, wait a minute. Now I'm thinking of some of y'all's sons. Some of you might want to give them to the church. No, just kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine taking your son and going to a church service and going to, to worship and bring your sacrifice and then leaving your son there? Giving him to God? That's what she did. And so that's where we're going to kind of jump in the story. She was a promise keeper. She did what she said she was going to do. And uh, verse 18 says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. Only the priest wore a linen ephod. So he was a little kid. And they already put him in a linen ephod. They put him in the, that's a great call. That was probably the highest call there was back then from God. Verse 19, moreover, his mother made him a little coat. She made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So every single year his mom came, she brought him another coat. His call didn't change. He was called to be a priest and a prophet, and he was given to God. His, his call remained the same, but he needed a new coat every year because he was growing. Any of you that have children, you understand that. Uh, we just pulled out all the the boys' jeans because it's getting cold outside, and Malachi's are okay. I think maybe he's slowed down a little bit, but Titus and Sky both had a bunch of capris. Both their ankles are showing. There's a couple of them that were close, and we're... Sky's listening. <laughs> they keep growing. So the jeans that fit them last year Nice jeans that we paid good money for. Now they put them on and they're too short. They keep growing every year. So how does she know what size? She only saw him once a year when they went up to sacrifice. How, how does she know what size to make this little coat? Same way when we go school shopping or clothes shopping with the boys or you know, like school shoes, you don't buy something that fits good. You don't buy something that's tight, a shoe that's like their foot's right, the toes to the end, or, you know, a jacket like, and Jesse's better about it than me because I'll just, oh, yeah, that fits good. Let's buy that. She's like, in two months, it's not going to fit. Like those shoes, they're going to outgrow it that fast. So what do you do? You buy it a little bit big. I mean, a little bit, it's not perfect, it's not that comfortable, but you're going to grow into it real fast because you're growing, and you're getting the nutrition you need. You're growing. It should be like that with us spiritually. When God gives you a new coat, you, you need a little bit of room to grow so that it'll last. See, it's the same when God gives us a new coat. At first, it seems a little bit big. Seems kind of awkward. When God gives us a new direction or a new call for our life, it kind of seems like, I can't feel this. I, I'm not big enough. God, I'm not strong enough to feel this coat. Look, look how loose the sleeve is. 
my arms aren't that big. Then God's like, it's the coats for where you're headed. If you're going to keep growing, you're going to need it to be big. Well, this is hard to fill this coat right now. You have a choice. You can stay in your little coat and stay a little man or be a big man in a little coat. Either way, it's awkward. Don't do that. If a coat's too small, it restricts your movement. It gets in the way. We see it all throughout life. You know, when you... I'll pick on Titus a little bit because he's not here. Titus is at VN. Him and Caleb and several of the guys are working the VN. Some of our, uh, Joe and Logan and Ben. And they're all, if you're wondering where all of them are. Um, so I'll pick on Titus a little bit. When he went to the middle school, he was all nervous because it's bigger and they're older kids and he doesn't know what like what to expect and the classes are going to be harder and it's it's a little bit too big for you and you're scared and nervous and I, and then after he was there for 3 years what 3 years once he was an 8th grader it wasn't too big in fact he was getting a little too big for the middle school I mean he was easy, he could easily handle the classes and grades and he had his friends and he knew what kids he didn't want to hang out with and what kids he did and he knew what he liked to do and what he wanted to do and he knew where all the classes were and he knew the teachers and which ones to avoid and which ones that liked him and he he figured it out he knew what they had for lunch he knew what he liked what he didn't but guess what about the time he got to eighth grade and he had it all figured out and he was comfortable guess he had to go to high school this year he got to go to the high school and once again, he got handed a big coat that made him nervous and scared, and he didn't know where anything was, and it was bigger than anyone he had been in before, and the classes were harder. And again, it, it's like this progression. And as long as we're still growing and progressing, it should be like that in the Spirit. When you first get married and you buy that little studio apartment, and it's great, and you got your one bedroom, and that's all you need. But once you start having kids, if you don't get a bigger house, I'm just going to talk about everybody that's not here. Bo and Amanda built an awesome, cute little house when they first got married. But then once after their 13th child, they added on. And then they had 14 and 15, and then they added on again. And now they have a 70,000-square-foot house for all their children. I'm exaggerating. They don't have that many children or that big of a house. But... They did have to add on. You had to make it bigger because once their family grew, you, you have to make room for the family. You have to keep on or you're restricted. It's tight. And as we grow as a church and as our vision grows and as our world grows and gets bigger and bigger, and if we're called to be a family and we sit around and pray, God, grow the church. Well, if the church grows, that means your family grows. That means you're going to have to be bigger. You're going to have to wear a bigger coat. It's going to be a little more cramped. You're not going to get your own bedroom. You're going to have two bunk beds in there. Oh, well, well, I don't want that. I, well, I had to park out there in the gravel last week. Well, and then stop praying the church will grow and wear the same coat from now on. We'll bury you when you're 87 years old and say he wore the same coat for the last 40 years. 
He never grew spiritually, but it was good, but it wasn't God. It was good, but it wasn't great. I want to live a God-sized life, bigger than average. More, I want to touch the world, not just good. You know, if you try to carry a God-sized dream with human strength, you'll get a spiritual hernia. Think about that. <laughs> if I can do it, if I'm strong enough to figure out the dream and I have the money and I'm smart enough and I'm qualified and I'm comfortable in it and I've, I, I've got it, then what do I need God for? And it might even be a good dream or a good plan or a good life. But it's not God-sized if I can carry it by myself. It's just not big enough. The world of the generous gets larger and larger and larger, Scripture tells us, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Your tunnel vision, all you think about is you. Your little bit. Love gives. We saw that last week. As long as you're growing, you need to change coats. You ever watch the red carpet? Like on TV or events, or you might see like the Grammys or the Oscars or something and just the insane clothes that they wear. And they'll get out of those cars and they'll be just so expensive and some of it's just really out there and ridiculous and they're all waiting to see what so-and-so will be wearing or waiting to see what coat or dress or suit or what you're wearing and the interviewers will run up to the famous people and uh, they, they want to see what you're wearing. They don't wear the same thing they wore last year and they sure aren't wearing the same thing that they wore back in the 80s or the 30s when George Clooney first got famous. Or, I mean, they don't, they're not still wearing the same stuff. They get something new every time. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, you know, what the reporters, they always come up and ask them. And they don't ask them, what are you wearing? They ask them, who are you wearing? You watch every time. Who are you wearing? And they tell them who made the dress, the maker. Who are you wearing? Louis Vuitton. Who are you wearing? Fate of glory. Whatever. <laughs> I don't even. <laughs> Who are you wearing, Wrangler? <laughs> no. They ask them, who are you wearing? It's about the designer. Some of you have some coats on that are way, way too small. And nobody wants to tell you. And every time you walk into a room spiritually, you got on this tight coat. You're restricted. You don't have the reach that you should have. You're not walking in the power that you should be walking in. For the amount of time that you've been in the family, you should be a powerhouse. You can be. You could be. But you're wearing a little coat. It's holding you back, and you need to go back to the designer and get a vision, and then you can dress for where you're headed.
not for where you have been. We're never supposed to look backwards and dress for where we've been. We're supposed to, God's people, are supposed to have the vision to look forward and dress for where we're headed. And so many times we look backwards and say, well, this is what I've walked through, so I'm going to dress for that. And that's why so many times in Scripture we're instructed by Isaiah and Paul and Jesus to stop looking backwards, forget the past, press forward, look on, forget the past. Because we're supposed to dress for what's up there. But if we're not looking up there, we have no vision for where we're headed or what God wants to do in and through us. We don't know what to wear. We got on the wrong coat. And it may be okay. It'll be good. We can make it. Nothing we do will make Him love us more or less, but we're not living as big as we could. Dress for where you're headed. What if you wore something old on the red carpet? That you'd be laughed at. They would look at you like, are you serious? And so many Christians that I talk to or come in contact with or even myself in areas are still wearing the same coat they put on in 1984 when they walk down to the altar. I don't know if I could walk in 84. When they rolled down to the altar. They're wearing the same coat. It never changed. It was good then. It was awesome. But not now. Donate that bad boy to the Blake House thrift store and get a bigger one. Don't hide behind the same coat, the same Christianity, the same ministry, the same. Remember I I said a few weeks ago that I don't want to have the same favorite Bible verse I had last year or 10 years ago. I want a new one. I don't even want to have the same issues. I know I'm always going to have issues and problems, but I'd like some new ones. I want to keep the same one. We keep moving and progressing. Hey, let's beat that giant. Let's slay that thing so we can go on to the next one. Don't keep the same one around. Let's keep growing. Paul said to the Jews, I became a Jew. Oh, don't conform. Don't you put on that modern hipster looking jacket. You keep on that old jacket that you've had since 84. The Lord gave you that jacket. Yeah, but sometimes it's okay to change it. You can change jackets. It's okay. Paul said to the Jews, I became a Jew. Why? So that I could fit in and do everything they were doing. No. So that I might reach them. That's what Paul said. Now, I'm not talking about putting on a jacket so you look like the world and you can fit in and do everything that everybody's doing and say, I got a scripture verse that says it's okay. You can put on a jacket so that you might reach them, so that you have a voice. A whole lot of people talk to me and a whole lot of people speak 
in my world and in my life, and there's a whole lot of talk, but not many people have a voice. Well, I want to have a voice in other people's lives. And if I walk up with a little bitty too small jacket, if I walk up with an offensive jacket, if I walk up with a jacket that doesn't have love in the material, then I've just limited my voice. Because a lot of people are going to shoot up a wall. A lot of people are never going to hear what I have to say, no matter how good it is. Because my jacket doesn't have love in it. I'm not willing to wear the jacket. Dress for where I'm headed. Look at Ephesians 1.18. Look what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Say, open up your eyes. I, I want you to understand and see. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. You don't have to guess or think about it or worry or want that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what he's called you to do, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, you get an inheritance when somebody dies. If you got a grandparent or your mom or your dad or somebody leaves you an inheritance, you get it when they die. And when Jesus died, he left us an inheritance. And it's really easy to put off like, well, the inheritance, okay, well, one day my inheritance will be when I get to go to heaven and when I die and go to heaven. But your inheritance is here now. You can walk in it. He's talking about the hope of your calling, what God called you to do. That is the riches, is that you get to walk in purpose and live in your call. That's the riches, because you have joy and hope and peace and you're making a difference in other people's lives and you pour into people and they pour back into you and it's you're part of a family and you're not lonely and you that's the riches that's the inheritance it's not one day yeah we get to go to heaven if we're saved when we die but that's not the inheritance that's just kind of I mean that's a good thing don't get me wrong I'm glad I get to go to heaven. But I'm saying don't forfeit life. Don't forfeit what's going on now. Looking to one day when I die, I'll get to go to heaven because God loves me, so I'm going to settle for this little coat. With the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, you must have a clear vision. The eyes of your understanding, they have to be open. So that you know what coat to put on. What's your calling? What's your purpose? And how will you step out of your brokenness and into purpose? We all have brokenness. And it's okay to break. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to let it out. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to let God know when you're not happy. You're upset and you're broken, but you can't live in your brokenness. You have to figure out how to step out of your brokenness and into purpose. Or you're just going to be that broken record that goes around and around and around your brokenness and never moves on past it. We've got to step out of our brokenness and into purpose. But if you don't see your purpose, you don't see what it is that you're supposed to step into, then it makes it really hard to step out of your brokenness. 
because you don't know where to step out. I feel like you're on a merry-go-round and you don't really know where to step off. So you just stay on your broken merry-go-round. And everything's broken and everything's bad. And all men are dogs and all churches want your money. And whatever, you can fill in the blank. But you're in that brokenness because you don't see your purpose. So how are you going to step out of your brokenness? Got to see your purpose. There are three things that will keep you from moving forward. I'm going to wrap this up. You know, we talked several weeks um, about being stuck, about not being stuck, about moving forward. There's three things that will keep you stuck, that will keep you from moving forward. One, we just get stuck on same. We get comfortable. We get comfortable where we are, doing what we do, giving what we give, being what we be. Right? We just get comfortable. We get stuck on same. Y'all ever watch that show, The Biggest Loser? Ever watch that TV show? It's pretty, pretty interesting. They compete and they work out hard and they eat right and they diet and then they come to the weigh-ins and they'll step up on the scale and you're cheering for them and you want to see transformation you want to see life change you want to see that the the guy or the girl that you're rooting for she's lost a bunch of weight and we're like yeah we love it we love to see change in other people love it love to see somebody else growing and touching the world I love to see Pastor Bruce making such a big impact on the city of Atlanta, but what am I doing? What are we doing? It's easy to get stuck on same. Change is inevitable, but progress is optional. It's up to you. I want to progress. I want to grow. And when you grow, you need new clothes. Remember the Hulk? When he changes from the little nerdy guy into the Hulk, he needs some clothes. Them little clothes don't work anymore. When you grow, you need new clothes. You don't drown when you jump in water. You drown when you stay under. Keep growing. Keep moving. Second one, I gotta, I'm going to speed these up. Number two. First one, we get stuck on same. Second one, we get stuck on self. We just get selfish. And like that scripture I referenced a few minutes ago, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller, and it's our human nature. We're born selfish. When we're little babies, we don't care about our mom or our dad. We care about us. When we want to eat, we're going to scream till we eat. We want our diaper changed. We don't care if dad has to get up at 3 a.m. and go to work. We're, just, we're born selfish. So that's our natural human nature is to just be selfish and focus on us. And not care about anybody else. And why, why should I put? Why should I give money in the offering? Or why should I show up to a work day and help out? Or why should I give my time to help out in the nursery? Or why should I? Why should I go feed homeless people? Or why should I be generous with what I have? Because I need it for me, and I need it for my me, me, me. We get stuck on self. 
and you can live the rest of your life selfish. And you can be stuck on self broke, and you can be stuck on self rich, and you can be stuck on, but that's where is your focus. You get stuck. Third one, stuck on scared. We know we need to step out. We know we need to grow, but we're just scared. We're scared because we're not qualified. We're scared because we don't know how it's going to work out. We're scared because it's hard to trust. We're scared. We just get scared, so we stay where we are. Because I know how to function right here. I know I can survive here. And God's like, but I want you over there. But I don't know that I can survive over there. Stuck on scared. Matthew twenty two fourteen says, Many are called and few are chosen. Many are called and few are chosen. See, the call goes out to everybody, but few will rise to the call. Everybody gets the call. All of us. Every Christian has heard the call. But that doesn't mean they will rise to the occasion. That doesn't mean they'll live big. That don't mean they're going to change coats yet. They'll go to heaven one day. But most will not. Few are chosen. Most will not rise. Few people will continue to grow. They'll stop somewhere along the way. Few people will change codes. Few people will ever walk in purpose. Will make a difference in the world. Most get stuck on same, self, or scared, or all three. Look at Matthew 9, 1. Look at Jesus. I'm going to just jump around a little bit here, but... Jesus' ministry is really just getting going at this point, and he's starting to do miracles, and he's he's gathering his crew, his boys, disciples, and he's not going to the cemetery to get them. He's seminary, excuse me. He's not going to the seminary to get them or to the religious leaders that train. He's going down by the sea and getting fishermen, and he's getting tax collectors and just going around and getting his crew, his family, because we're called to be connected. Even Jesus needed needed a small group. So Jesus is like doing miracles and getting famous and adding people to his group, the people that he needed. And um, Chapter 9, verse 1 says, And he entered into a ship, and he passed over, and he came into his own city, came back home, back to his hometown. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, Lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Jesus looked past the palsy. They're all standing around. Jesus tells the guy with palsy, like, hey, your sins are forgiven. And the religious people, the self-righteous people in the room, rather than receiving Jesus, they're sitting there thinking in their mind, this is blasphemy. And then Jesus called them out. Why are you sitting there thinking evil in your hearts? 
How did, how'd you? That should be enough right there. They said, wait a minute, maybe he is the son. Maybe there's something to this. How do you know what I was thinking? Why do you think evil in your hearts? For whether is easier. Jesus said, which one's easier? To say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of palsy, arise, get up, take up thy bed and go into thine house. And he arose and he departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and they glorified God which had given such power unto men. Multitudes gathered. They marveled. They were pumped. They were excited. Somebody just got healed. This was awesome. Then Jesus just told the religious people. And so Jesus could have just started a church right there and kept on that jacket and lived right there, and it would have been good. And but Jesus kept on moving. He didn't stop. He kept moving forward. In Christianity, and as we walk in our purpose, we must keep moving forward. Isaiah 43, the, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying to God's people, and he's telling them, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. Why? He said, because I'm about to do a brand new thing. Don't you see it? Can you perceive it? It's hard to see when you're looking backwards. Really hard to see what God's trying to show you when you're looking behind you. Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the full armor of God. You go read Ephesians 6 and read the armor of God, and you'll notice one thing. There's no piece of armor to cover your back. Nothing. You got a sword and a shield and a breastplate, and even the, like... Your shin guards and everything, there's nothing to cover your back. Why? You're not supposed to be running into battle like this. In fact, if your enemy ever sees your back, either you're dead or you're running. You've given up. It's over. We're not instructed. We've never been instructed to run, to quit, to give up, or to look backwards at the past. Because if I'm trying to go into my future, but I keep looking back at my past, it's not going to turn out good for me. We're supposed to move forward. We're the offense. We're supposed to be taking ground. We're supposed to be helping and loving and moving forward and advancing the kingdom. Stop looking backwards. Keep moving forward. Grow. Learn. Don't wear the same coat forever. Jesus kept going forward. I won't keep reading, but I'll just kind of tell you what he does in these next few verses. You can go read it. Um, but in verse 9, right after this, he goes, he says to Matthew, hey, come follow me. And Matthew's the one that wrote this book. And Matthew writes in there, so I got up and followed him. 
And we like to say Matthew left everything, and he was a tax collector, and he left his old business and everything, and he went to follow Jesus, but it doesn't really tell us that. We might have kept collecting taxes. Perfect timing. It's my off season. Tax season's over, so I'll follow Jesus. We don't know. But he calls Matthew, and Matthew ended up being a vital part of the team, and that Wrote one of the four books of the gospel. So Matthew was with him. He was adding to the team, but he didn't stop with Matthew. He keeps going. Next he goes, uh, remember the guy came to him and said, my daughter's dead. My daughter's sick and dying. And the one that Jesus said, no, she's not. She's just asleep. And he went to heal her. And on the way, they ran into a woman with the issue. And she grabbed his, she grabbed his garment. Any of y'all know a woman with an issue? But he kept moving forward. And there were even distractions along the way. When he was going to do a good thing, like he's going to heal a little girl, and then this woman with an issue of blood comes up, and she grabs his garment, and it seems to be a distraction, but he stops and he heals her. But he doesn't stop and stay there. He keeps moving forward. He keeps pressing. He keeps growing. He keeps moving on to the next. What next, Dad? What next, Dad? What next, Dad? That's not enough. I want to get bigger. I want to grow more. I want to heal more. My, his heart was full of compassion, and he kept going and growing. You keep reading this whole this whole chapter, but verse 26, it tells us that he got famous. That the fame was spreading around and Jesus started getting famous and then he heals two blind men. And then in verse 31, it tells us that his fame spread. And then he healed a dumb man. A lot of y'all are just dumb. Just kidding. A dumb man, he couldn't speak. He had a spirit that wouldn't allow him to speak. So then Jesus heals the dumb man, and it just it's like a snowball. It kept growing and progressing and because he kept moving forward. He didn't stop. He didn't stay. So he heals the dumb man. And then after all that, verse 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. To his harvest. It's not your harvest. Many are called, but few are chosen. I guess what I'm trying to tell you today is we are the few. Many are called, few are chosen. We're the few. It's real easy to look to your left and look to your right. Go get them. Fight, fight, fight. We are the few. Don't look at somebody else. When God says to you, feed the homeless, you're the few. Don't look to somebody else to do it. When when God says to you, end slavery, or when God says to you, give money, or when God says to you, fight for a cause, don't look to somebody else. You are the few. We are the few. 
Matthew 9, 36, the same verse that I just read you, or those same three verses, the Message Bible words it like this. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, and he reported kingdom news, and he healed their diseased bodies, and healed their bruised and hurt lives. There's a lot of people out there with bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were. Like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. What separates the few from the crowd? Three things separate the few from the cloud, crowd and and we're done. Do you know your vision? Do you know your purpose? Do you, do you have a vision for the future? Not saying it can't change. But lots of people depend on the church or a pastor to give them their vision. You need to know your vision. And it will connect with mine. Because we're family. We're in the same body. If God gives you a vision, and God gives me a vision, and your vision doesn't connect with mine, then you're probably in the wrong family. Or one of us has missed it. Your vision for your life will connect. But you can't look for me to fulfill what God said to you. A lot of people get a vision from God, and then they come tell me about it, and then they get offended. And In fact, several have quit the church because I didn't fulfill what God said to them. I didn't make what God said to them happen. And I can think of several specifically that this happened with. God gave them a vision and a plan, and I believe God told them that. But me, as their pastor, didn't make that happen or wasn't called to make that happen, and they got upset. I can't fulfill the vision of everybody. I'm not supposed to. And neither can you. But we can all get our vision, and as a family and as a body, it will connect. And it will make each other stronger, and it will help each other fulfill their vision and walk in their call. And some of us are called to give time, and some of us are called to give money, and some of us are called to give wisdom. and some, We're all called to give parts. And we all have things that we can give. But do you know your vision? If you're counting on me, I'm going to let you down. Go ahead and tell you that. Number two, do you know your place? You know you're over people, you're leading people, but you've got to be under people too. You've got to allow people to speak into your life. 
you got to be giving and receiving. Pastor Bruce tells me that a good question to ask yourself often is, who is drinking from my well? Who's receiving from me? And whose well am I drinking from? Because I want a good flow. That river, that water that's inside of me, I need to be receiving from people, but I also need to be pouring out. And either way, if I'm just receiving and never pouring out, that's a problem. And if I'm just pouring out and never receiving, then I'm going to run dry. So do, do you know your place? Do you fit? Do you know how to be under people? Do you know how to lead and follow? Do you know that you matter? Do you know that your part counts? Because it does. But if you don't know that or believe that, you're going to get stuck. You're not going to be one of the few. If you don't think that what you do matters, if you don't think that you're a vital part of the family, then you won't give. You won't put forth effort because you think it doesn't matter. You think they're okay without me. They, they don't. Your part counts. There was a COO of one of the largest companies in the U.S. Um, he had 450,000 employees under him. And uh, in in his company, and he says that there are two reasons that people quit or walk away from the company, and he's boiled it down, and he's done workshops and seminars, and and after having 450,000 people working for him, I guess he knows a little something about it. He says, number one reason that people quit or walk away from the company or the vision is they don't know the vision. They don't know the why, like what are we doing why are we doing this? Where are we headed? What's the... That's one. And the second reason is they don't know or see their place in it. Like, what's my part? Am I even needed? Am I even appreciated? What's my part? So do you know your place? You know your vision. Do you know your place? The third and last one, we'll close. Do you know who you are? Who are you in the vision? Did you know the best that you can be is you? It's the best that you can be. You don't need to try to be somebody else. You don't need to try to be me, please. Because you can't be a, a good Dusty. I'm better than you at being Dusty. But you're better than me at being you. I can't be Tristan. He's better than me. He's been Tristan for a long time. God gave you giftings and abilities and a place in the family. And by knowing that you belong and that you have a place, you be you. Don't try to be somebody else. God's placed passions inside your heart that your purpose, your call, your vision, and it connects with the vision of the house. And be you. Don't try to fit what somebody else thinks you should be. 
there was a man that came into church, and he was upset because when he came in the foyer, the greeting team was busy talking to themselves and didn't even say hello to him. And he didn't get offered a cup of coffee. And then he went in the bathroom to use the bathroom, and he went to go dry his hands, and the paper towel thing was out. And so he just air-dried his hands and dried them on his pants and got aggravated. And then he came and sat in the back of the sanctuary and didn't talk to anybody else. And uh, saw the worship team fooling with a sound issue, and they couldn't get the wire right. And he said, "That's well, that's ridiculous that they're up there doing that. And then he sat down, and then worship started, and he stayed in his seat, and he just sat there, and he listened to a few bad notes get hit, and somebody got a little off on one of their harmonies, and then the snare drum messed up in the middle of a song and started going, and playing like a drum beat that didn't go, and he got aggravated, and then he got up and went back to the bathroom and got himself a drink of water during half the message, so when he came back in, the rest didn't make sense, and the preacher was crazy, and frankly seemed kind of uneducated and he got offended and left and said that was the worst church I've ever been to. They were unorganized. Their worship team was horrible. The preaching was dumb. They weren't friendly. Uh, didn't, couldn't dry my hands and it was a horrible experience. Somebody else came into the exact same church service and walked in and said, wow, Look at the relationships that are formed here. Look at them laughing and talking and hanging out here in the foyer. And they said, hello, and then we're met with a warm smile and a hug. And, a and then as they went to the bathroom, and they used the bathroom, and then they thought how grateful they were for that wonderful cup of coffee that they just drank. They realized the paper towels were out, and they said, thank God. It's my opportunity to chip in something because I hadn't been able to, to give anything yet. I feel like all I've done is receive when I, when I came in the door. So let me figure out where the paper towels are and I'll go ahead and put some in the bathroom because I'm a part. I'm, I want to I wanna help out. I want to be invested. So the next person has some and they went and they found some where the paper towels were and they put them in the bathroom and then they came in here and went up to the back but then they looked down and saw people down here praying and stuff and they came down and and they went ahead and prayed with the prayer team and then they noticed the worship team praying right before and then during worship, they came and stood down front, and they lifted up their hands, and they heard God speak to their heart and their mind, and then during the preaching, they opened up and looked past the human, and they heard the creator of the universe speak to their situation, and they heard God, and both of these men went to the same church service, the same group of people. One of them had on a little bitty coat, and one of them had on a coat that was a little big for them, and they were trying to grow into it. A great church orchestrates life-changing moments, and a great church recognizes that we get the win not me we the few the family the team impossible is just a big word 
thrown around by small-minded men who find it easier to live in a world created for them rather than explore their ability to change it. I don't want to be that little man wearing a little jacket. Let's pray. Hey, Dad. Thanks for being real with us. It's pretty easy to get offended when you look at us and say, your jacket's too small. It looks ridiculous, son. Take that thing off. Oh, how dare you tell me that jacket's too small. Dad, we received the word. Say, you know what? You're right. This is too small. And how am I going to swim with this thing on? called me to something different. So God, those of us that have been stuck looking at the past, help us to turn around to get a clear vision of where we're headed so that we can dress for where you want us to go. God, help us to open up and live a generous, expansive, big life. We don't want to live small. We want to be all that you've called us to be. We want to be world changers. We want to make an impact on your kingdom. We want to be the best fathers and mothers and aunts and uncles and grandparents and to not just our natural family, but the spiritual family that you've placed us in. We want to be such a clear picture of you to the world that there's no mistake. And let love be woven into every stitch of our jacket. Let love lead. Because you are love. We love you, God. Thanks for loving us. Thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen.